This evening we're going to continue with Romans. We start chapter 13. We're going to look at verses 1 through to 7 in chapter 13 of Romans. Subjection to civil governments. Subjection to the civil governments. Let's have a look at those verses now. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained by God, of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger, to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore ye must needs be subject, not only for the wrath, but also for conscience sake. For, for for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their Jews tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honour to whom honour. The new birth, the ongoing and progressive work of sanctification by the Holy Spirit, the transformation that is taking place in all of God's people by the renewing of their minds as they prayerfully read the scriptures, all of those things will inevitably have an impact on relationships. We've already seen in chapter 12 and verse 1 that we are to present our bodies holy and blameless, a living sacrifice acceptable to God. For that is our reasonable service. That's the relationship that the Christian, who is a royal priest in a holy nation, has with the God of his salvation. And then there's the Christian's relationship with other Christians and even with his enemies, details of which were looked at and considered in chapter 12. Now in chapter 13 we shall consider the Christian's relationship with the rulers of this world. Look again at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 13. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. The higher powers or the governmental authorities are ordained by God. That means they have been placed in positions of power by God. All of them, even the most ungodly ones. We can see that to be the case in the Bible. For example, in Romans chapter 9 
and verse 17, Paul said, For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might declared, be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore, even Pharaoh, wicked Pharaoh, who ruled Egypt by divine appointment, he, despite the fact that he had enslaved the Hebrews, treated them despicably, and only released them after ten plagues were inflicted upon Egypt by God, the last of which was the death of all the firstborn, including the firstborn of Pharaoh. Only then did he release the um, the Hebrews. Also God raised up Nebuchadnezzar, the wicked king of Babylon, whom God referred to as his servant, to rule over and punish various idolatrous nations, including the Jews. As it is written in Jeremiah chapter 25 and verse 9, Behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land and against the inhabitants thereof and against all these nations round about and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment and a hissing and perpetual desolations. And even Pontius Pilate, who gave the order to crucify the Lord Jesus Christ, was appointed by God to be the Roman governor of Judea. As Jesus said to Pilate in John chapter 19 and verse 11, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. The power that Pilate had did not come from the Roman emperor, it came from God. We've already seen that Pharaoh was ordained by God to the end that God might show his power and that his name might be declared throughout all the earth. And that is precisely what has happened. Even now, about three and a half thousand years after God delivered the Jews perhaps two million of them, out of Egypt and out of slavery there. I don't suppose there are too many people who haven't heard at least something about the parting of the Red Sea by God, the Jews passing through on dry land and then the sea closing up on Pharaoh and on his army and destroying them all. Most people know something about that. All of those things, from Pharaoh refusing to let the people go, God hardening his heart, the deliverance of the Jews, and Pharaoh's death, they were all ordained by God. And most certainly, something of the power of God that was seen way back, way back then by the Jews can still be seen today whenever you open the book of Exodus and read about it. We see the power of God we see his name being declared throughout all the earth. Likewise, when wicked rulers such as Pilate, the Jewish council and others crucified and slew none other than the King of Glory, the Lord Jesus Christ, even that was done in accordance with God's will. 
his good pleasure and for his glory. As the apostle said with one accord in Acts chapter 4, verses 26 to 28, the kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth, against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were gathered together, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. God determined these things to be done. Let me emphasise that those higher powers were were ordained by God to carry out his purpose. Even the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. As such, everyone including Christians are to be subject unto the higher powers even though those higher powers are wicked. That's the relationship. It is one of subordination or submission to the rulers of this world. Not only are we to be outwardly obedient, but furthermore, we are to do so believing that the higher powers really have been ordained by God. When you submit to them, you do show that you are in submission to God's will. Conversely, if you resist the government, you are effectively resisting God and you can expect to face the consequences for the wages of sin is death. I hope that by now you understand that any legitimate profession of saving faith in Jesus ought to be seen in a born-again life where God is working in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. And what is his good pleasure? That you subject or you subordinate to the higher powers. It's here in Romans chapter 13. As James said, James in his epistle, he said, faith without works is dead. Apart from anything else, the works of someone whose Saviour and Lord is Jesus demonstrates that he is in subjection to Jesus and the Lordship of Jesus by his subjection unto the higher powers. Let's have a look at verses 3 and 4. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Ideally, the higher powers enact and enforce laws that are godly and that restrain and punish the wicked, even to the point of inflicting the ultimate sanction, the death penalty, on criminals. Hence the reference in verse 4, to rulers bearing the sword. Ultimately, what that means is that the higher powers have the God-given authority to execute wrongdoers, the wicked. 
As such, far from being a bad thing, rulers with their God-given powers are to be seen as a grace of God and such things are to be desired. The fact that governments often abuse their power uh, that they have and they have a tendency to be tyrannical is neither here nor there in this passage. They will all have to answer to God, the righteous judge, just like the rest of us. Paul's message is very clear. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. Coming back to the Babylonian captivity, even though God had delivered the Jews to the king of Babylon and commanded them to be in subjection to the king, the Babylonians were particularly wicked. They had to answer to God for their wickedness and God punished them. Just as the prophets predicted that God would. They predicted it in many Old Testament passages. For example, in Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 29 through to 31, it is written, Call together the archers against Babylon. All ye that bend the bow, camp against it round about. Let none thereof escape. Recompense her according to her work, according to all that she have done. Do unto her. For she have been proud against the Lord, against the Holy One of Israel. Therefore shall her young men fall in the streets, and all her men of war shall be cut off in that day, saith the Lord. Behold, I am against thee, O thou most proud, saith the Lord God of hosts. For thy day is come, the time that I will visit thee. So there you have it. God ordained Babylon to be to rule over the Jews. He even referred to Nebuchadnezzar as his servant. But the Babylonians were particularly cruel. They were wicked and God punished them. You can apply that to now. Any tyrannical government now is answerable to God. Let's have a look at verses 5 through to 7. Wherefore ye must needs be subject not only for wrath but also for conscience sake. For this cause, for for this cause, pay ye tribute also. For they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their Jews tribute, to whom tribute is due, custom, to whom custom, fear, to whom fear, honour, to whom honour. In view of the fact that the higher powers have power to punish and even to kill lawbreakers, it follows that a great incentive to be in subjection to them is fear. But also there's another reason for submission to them and that reason is for conscience sake. Therefore, subjection to the higher powers is driven by both fear of punishment and also by a conscience that tells you that the rulers have been ordained by Almighty God who is sovereign over all. As we see in this passage, subjection to the higher powers inevitably means paying taxes to them, paying tribute to them, 
paying custom to them so that they can fulfil their purpose, which, as has already been seen in verse 4, is to execute wrath upon evildoers. But that's it. Their reason for being is to prevent the people from descending into anarchy. That's why we have the higher powers. That is why we have rulers. Anything beyond that is not in accordance with why they were ordained by God. And with that in mind, perhaps you can see that the higher powers and even our own government here on this island have assumed responsibilities and powers that go way beyond what they were what they are supposed to do. By way of application, it's worth appreciating that back in Paul's time, there were Jews who were intent on overthrowing their Roman rulers. For example, about 20 years before the epistle to the Romans was written, at the time of the crucifixion, when the people were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? The chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released, who, according to Mark chapter 15 and verse 7, lay bound with them that had made insurrection with him, who had committed murder in the insurrection. There was insurrection. And in AD 70, about 13 years after this epistle to the Romans was written, Jerusalem was destroyed by the Roman legions after the Jews had revolted against Rome's authority. Therefore, amongst the Jews, there were those who wanted to rise up against Roman occupation. For example, one of the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ was a man called Simon the Zealot, who is not to be confused with Simon Peter. Even Simon the Zealot had been a member of the Jewish rebel party called the Zealots, who wanted to overthrow the Roman rulers. And there was that time that the crowd tried to take the Lord Jesus Christ by force to make him a king after he had fed well over 5,000 people with just five loaves of bread and two small fishes. The Bible commentator John Gill explains that they intended to proclaim Jesus the King Messiah, place him at the head of them to deliver the nation from the Roman yoke and set up a temporal kingdom in which they might hope for great secular advantages and they might the rather be induced to take such a step since by this miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, they could not doubt of his being able to support such an army of men and to succeed in the enterprise. For he that could do this, what was it that he could not do? The people wanted to make Jesus their conquering king, to kick out the Romans. And that brings us back to Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, where it is written, Let every soul be subject 
unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God, the powers that be are ordained by of God, whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Paul was warning against insurrection or rising up against higher powers that God himself had put in place, that God had ordained. And the warning comes hot on the heels of chapter 12, verses 19 and 21, where Paul said, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Whether it's the cruel Roman Empire of old, or the Babylonians, or Pharaoh of Egypt, or a a tyrannical regime that is in the world today, and there are many of them, God ordains them for his purpose and for his glory. And for our part, we are to be in subjection to them. When the Jews were ruled by the Babylonians for 70 long and painful years, God commanded them to be in subjection In Jeremiah chapter 27, verses 12 through to 14, it is written, I spake also to Zedekiah, king of Judah, according to all these words, saying, Bring your necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon, and serve him and his people, and live. Why will ye die, thou and thy people, by the sword, by the famine and by the pestilence, as the Lord hath spoken against the nation that will not serve the king of Babylon. Therefore hearken not unto the words of the prophets that speak unto you, saying, Ye shall not serve the king of Babylon, for they (coughs) prophesy a lie unto you. So clear in that passage, isn't it? That the Jews of old were to be in subjection to the Babylonians, whom God had ordained. Having said all of that, it's important to understand that subjection unto the divinely ordained higher powers does not necessarily equate to obedience to them at all times. Even though subjection and obedience are closely related, they are not the same thing. I think this is where people get in a mess with this passage. Let me give you an example. If a godly Christian woman is married to an ungodly tyrant, she is in subjection to him. We're all agreed on that, aren't we? The order is the woman is in subjection to the man. That is biblical teaching. But what if the ungodly tyrant forbids her to pray to God or to read her Bible, what if he insists that she does various things that dishonour God? Is she to obey him? I would say no. Similarly, in the book of Daniel, 
there were three godly Jewish men who faithfully served the king of Babylon. In fact, the king had set them over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Even so, they refused to fall down and worship a golden image that the king had set up, the penalty for which was being cast into a fiery furnace, the death penalty for not bowing down before a 90-foot-high golden image. There is no question of those three godly men ever refusing to be in subjection to the king, but they nevertheless disobeyed his command to worship the golden image. Consequently, they were cast into the fiery furnace, but God was with them in that fire, and God delivered them from it completely unharmed. And Daniel, whom King Darius had set over the 120 princes of the Medo-Persian Empire, most certainly was not a troublemaker or an insurrectionist. In fact, people who wanted to accuse Daniel before the king were unable to find anything to accuse him of. And so they consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days except of the king shall be cast into the den of lions. Sure enough, Daniel did not comply with that royal edict. He disobeyed the law by continuing to pray to God and he did so openly. He didn't hide it. Consequently, he was cast into a den of lions, but he too lived to tell the story. Therefore, subjection to higher powers clearly does not mean that you have to obey any rule or law that diverts your worship away from God. Besides which, the Lord have clearly said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord, thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Also, any order that is given by the higher powers not to proclaim the gospel of Christ can and should be disobeyed. The Jewish council, which had authority over the Jews, forbade the apostles from preaching Christ. The apostles most certainly were not insurrectionists. Even so, they said to the council, we ought to obey God rather than men. They were released, but not before being beaten. Even so, they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus. Those men who were not insurrectionists, and we have no reason to believe that they were not in subjection to the higher authorities. But still, they refused to obey any law or any edict from the the Jewish authorities that said that they were not allowed to preach Christ. 
So can you disobey, rather you can disobey laws that forbid you from worshipping the only true God and you can disobey laws that forbid evangelism even if it means being punished in some way such as being beaten or being fined or being sent to prison. The Apostle Paul who wrote this epistle he spent quite a bit of time in prison himself. You might well wonder what else you can disobey. At this point I will leave it to you to wrestle with that dilemma and to pray about it. But perhaps while you're doing that I suspect that you might also want to pray for a Holy Spirit boldness to say to the higher powers I ought to obey God rather than men. When those times come when the law is in conflict with what you ought to be doing as a servant of the Most High God For example, cast your mind back to when we were looking at chapter 12. What we saw in that chapter are exhortations by an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul, to do acts of love and to show compassion and kindness to brothers and sisters in Christ. I do not imagine that any of those Christian duties that were seen in chapter 12 are to be cancelled out by anything that we're now uh, considering in chapter 13. Take chapter 12 and verse 10, for example. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. Then there's chapter 12 and verse 13, where it is written, distributing to the necessity of the saints. Also, we do well to consider what Jesus will say to all true born-again Christians on the day of judgment. He'll say to them, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was unhungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in naked, and ye clothed me, I was sick. And ye visited me. I was in prison and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. How can we as Christians do any of those things if we are not even allowed to meet up and to see each other? I'll readily admit that during the three lockdowns that we've already had on this island, I broke the lockdown laws with regularity when I attended to the needs of other members of the body of Christ. I've already done it three times and I will do it again. There are various issues that you will have to pray about and you will have to look for divine guidance as you read the scriptures. For example, your conscience 
ought to tell you that you are to be in subjection unto the higher powers. But at the same time, your conscience might also tell you not to do something that is demanded by the laws of the land because it contradicts and it violates God's laws. That act of disobedience would make you a conscientious objector, but it would not necessarily make you an insurrectionist or a revolutionary, someone who is refusing to be in subjection to the higher powers, someone who is intent on overthrowing the higher powers. It doesn't follow that way. You will have to decide for yourself what to do as you are guided by the scriptures as to when you ought to obey God rather than men as a servant of the Most High God. It may well be that you will make a stand for righteousness and end up getting yourself arrested just like my predecessor Matthew Ells did when he and others from this church opposed an ungodly theatre production. In conclusion, I don't believe that Christians are to obey every ungodly law of the higher powers. Furthermore, perhaps you ought to pray for the backbone to oppose ungodliness in our land. How else are you to be salt and light if you comply with every evil law that is enacted by the higher powers? May God grant you the boldness to dare to be a Daniel and to rejoice if and when you suffer shame for the name of Jesus and for righteousness' sake. Amen.